Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil, and find out. G'day everybody, welcome again to the V8 Sleuth podcast powered by Repco. It's a classic car episode as we take a look at a storied car from supercars history and I can sum it up in just four words, lap of the gods. It's a mammoth job ahead of him because that time of John Bowes will look as big as the mountain he's about to try and tame. Second split's critical. He's at online at the elbow, a little bit wider than he would have liked, but he stays with it. I don't think it's hurt him. He's up nearly 0.7. An awesome time so far from Murphy. He holds it together through the chase. And Greg Murphy, listen to the crowd roar. Murphy, a Uncharted territory for anybody on the mountain. Take a bow, Greg Murphy. That was something very special in the history of Bathurst. That brings back just a few memories. Greg Murphy's amazing pole position lap from Bathurst in 2003. Lap of the gods is the term that is connected to that. Number 51 came out racing Commodore. And on this episode of the pod, we're going to take a closer look at the history of this amazing car in mountain folklore. Will Dale is on the other end of the Zoom call today. Uh, Will, welcome. Uh, It's amazing to think that we're still talking about this car, what, 18 years since it did (laughs) one special lap. It's like everybody forgot that it actually won Bathurst the next day. (laughs) Well, it wasn't every day back then that that someone would lob up to Mount Panorama in a supercar and do a 206. That had never been done. The day before was the first time anyone had done a 207. So the impact of that moment, like, it, it stands up. It just, it's, and that's why it stood up for so long in history. I think there's probably three elements to it too, mate. On top of the, the lap time, 206.8594 is burnt in my memory <laughs> bank and so many supercar fans around the country. It wasn't just that. The lap time was spectacular. The margin that he put over the field to the second fastest car of John Bauer, that was the other element. Mm. It wasn't just that. He'd gone and been the first into a six and was on pole by three tenths. He was on pole by nearly a second. Um, and then I think the third thing that's probably overlooked, that was the first shootout in Bathurst history run in prime time. Mm. So remember that for so many years, the shootout traditionally had been a Saturday morning affair that had been packaged up into highlights, whether it was in the Channel 7 era or in the Channel 10 era, and then run at some stage that afternoon, whether it be late afternoon leading into the news or mid-afternoon during Saturday afternoon. In 2003, the organisers swapped the shootout to now its traditional sort of um, late afternoon slot. So obviously for a broadcaster, it's important because it rolls into the news, which keeps the eyeballs up, which flows on into their, their evening viewing. That was the first time that happened. So I reckon that the audience for that shootout was probably greater than it had been for any shootout for many, many years because of the time of day. So you add all those things together, ta-da, magic moment that we'll never, ever stop talking about. Hands down, the biggest stage any driver had been on for a shootout lap to that point because the fact that it was live on television as well, not just the timing of it, 
we had there had been I think one live top ten shootout in the morning, like one of the morning ones in the nineties. Um, it was the one where Brock crashed in ninety five, and then it delayed the schedule and. Surprise, surprise, they didn't do another live shootout again for quite a while. Well, that, de- that depended where you lived, though, because ah, that true. weekend was AFL Grand Final weekend in 95. Uh, oh, I think Carlton it was too. Won, actually. Carlton uh, did. So Carlton beat Geelong. Yeah, if you lived in Melbourne, no good. You didn't get to see it live. Yeah, very true. Mm. But anyway, yeah. I digress. You digress. <laughs> but yeah, so... To not just have that big stage of all those eyeballs, all those millions of people watching, but to then actually turn on a performance like that. And as you said, the margin over John Bow in second place, the fact that you could see as the split times came through, the first one at Reed Park and he was up by a massive chunk. Then when he got to the el- exit of the elbow and he was up by basically a second. And it was clear from that point on that as long as he didn't make a mistake into the chase, he was on for something absolutely special. And keeping in mind that John Bow's lap was, I think, the fourth 207 done in a supercar around Mount Panorama. So it wasn't a slow lap either. You talk about the split times. When they when the car popped up across the run to Reed Park, that little right-left kink that brings them up into view of the throng of fans at the top of the hill, you can hear Crompton in the commentary box virtually fall off his chair because the <laughs> split time comes up. And you know what? I can't even describe it here. Run the audio here. Have a listen to this. Squeezing, looking for every last thousand. Third to fourth. This is the run to Reed Park. He's up. And look at the split. It's awesome. Four tenths of a second for Greg Murphy. That sound you heard was Neil Crompton's jaw on the floor there because that set up the rest of the lap because I don't think either uh, neither he or Matty White quite twigged at that stage without having a reference time to know just how fast it really was because so many occasions a really fast lap time doesn't look fast because it's smooth and in control, it's not sliding, all the things that you know normally look spectacular but don't translate into, into a lap time. So it's a storied car, the Lap of the Gods car, the number 51 Kmart Racing Commodore VY, uh, which had had a long life before it even got to Mount Panorama in 2003. In fact, I had to go through the records. That was its 27th V8 Supercar Championship round start to that point. It had been around since mid-2000. So underneath, that car had done a lot of work already, but of course the, the, the bolt-on parts, the parts that matter, the suspension, the engine, were, were most certainly um, up for the gig. It's probably, it's got to be in the top five most valuable supercars of all time. I, I can't see how it's not. It's, it's there with the golden child of Mark Scaife, um, with Kate, the Jamie Winkup, Vodafone Commodore. I'd put the 2006 888 Better Electrical Falcon probably in the mix. Marcus Ambrose's Pertec BA, Stone Brothers Falcon. And I reckon this car, given not just the Kmart history, but its HRT winning history as well, I think they're my five. It's hard to beat and push any of those out of that category. Is there? Do you agree? Do you disagree? Is there any other contenders? I do agree. And on the basis that like most Bathurst winners have a certain value because they are a Bathurst winning car, but not every Bathurst winning car has such an iconic moment attached to it. Um, and of the, like we said off the top, the fact that we're still talking about this 18 years later when the lap time itself has been surpassed countless times since cars are doing under that lap time in the race now um, illustrates that 
this was a, clearly a pretty special car and a car that special demands a pretty special price tag. It, yeah, it's a big price tag that it's been advertised for in recent times as well, but it's been restored over, uh, well, some time ago now it was restored back to its 2003 uh, livery and specification because it did race on after that. But it's probably pertinent for us to rewind back to tell our, our listeners about this car because the car that became the Lap of the Gods car actually started its life as a Holden Racing Team VT Commodore. It was a VY when it won Bathurst in 03. It was actually the sixth uh, VT that the Holden Racing Team had produced since they debuted the first one in 1998. So they'd pumped out quite a few. They, this was chassis 43. So they'd done 37 and 38. There was no number 39 because... Dencar chassis 39 went to Gibson Motorsport. So HRT got their numbers back in alignment with Dencar from the next one at 40, which was the Craig Lowndes rollover car, 41 and 42. And then that brought us to this car, HRT 043. So it was Craig Lowndes' car when it debuted at Queensland Raceway, the sprint round in July 2000. And it started in style because he won the round and won all three races to absolutely blitz the field. But here's a pop quiz. He was not the first driver to turn the first laps in this car when it was brand new. Can you remember who it was? Ooh. Okay, so we're talking 2000-era HRT. Teammate Mark Scaife is an obvious candidate? He's obvious, but he's not the correct answer. But you've got it half right. I've got it half right? (laughs) Mm. It's it's someone named Scaife or someone named Mark? Well, there's not too many other scapes racing V8 supercars, but there's a few other marks at the time. Ah, I see. Uh, Mark Noski? Correct. Hey. Who, who had been signed to drive uh, with the Holden Young Lions car, but he and the team didn't get to the Enduros. He parted ways uh, before that happened. But we were able to check this when we did the Holden Racing Team book because uh, on all the cars, which, yes, by the way, We will do a second edition of that book at some stage in the future. We get asked by our fans and our followers quite a lot. But, um, yeah, Noski drove this car at the the first test day, did the first laps in it as they were uh, running in a new diff. And we were able to check that from the official original HRT run sheet paperwork uh, that has been saved so well by our great friend Ben Eggleston, who is a real keeper of supercars history in terms of cars and paperwork and and all the information that goes with it. Lowndes did put his bum in that car later in that test day and, of course, then went on to drive it for uh, a big chunk of of the rest of 2000. He didn't use it for the rest of 2000 for every single round, but he ran it at uh, Winton and Oran Park, and then he and Scaife linked up for the Queensland 500 and won that race as well. So that car was four from four for uh, race wins at Queensland Raceway in 2000. But probably... That's a win that's overlooked for them. I, I mean, everyone remembers that Lowndes and Scaife didn't win Bathurst together for HRT. They did for Triple Eight later on. They came close in this car, but that's another story that we'll cover off in a sec. But that Queensland 500 win, that was one that was dominant. And if my memory serves, I think Scaife was, was Scaife ill that day or Lowndes ill. One of them wasn't quite pumping along on all eight cylinders from memory, but I think they made a very good call they got a re- really good opportunity with a safety car to take advantage of where they were on the track and where it came out. It gave them a big gap over the Valvoline car and Tanner and Barguana just had no chance of catching them. I think they won by 30-odd seconds, which is kind of unheard of in, a, in an endurance race these days in supercars. But it, it was a car that 
I love that livery, by the way. That red 2000 HRT car with the white um, line and helmet logo down the side, mobile Bridgestone. To me, that because the team had not really had red cars mm. before. That was the first of the red era cars for for HRT. For me, it's it's a standout. See, I've only ever seen that as a transition livery. I've never liked that livery itself. I loved the one that came before it with the that was red, white, and blue, and had the like the sort of ninety eight, ninety nine style livery. Big fan of the 2001, 2002 era cars with the big line on the bonnet and the red and the white down the side. But, yeah, this, this particular livery has just never done it for me, personally. Oh, what's wrong with you? It looks fantastic. It's <laughs> red. It's a Holden. It's Because it, it, they, they, they had previously been the mobile Holden racing team, but from this point they became really the Holden racing team. Mobile was still a... Uh, an important and valuable partner, but not the naming rights partner. I think Holden were tipping in a bit more money at that stage, so hence the cars um, became totally red. Uh, but the the thing was with this car, it could have already been a Bathurst winner before it won with Murphy and Kelly in 2003 because 2000, it was Lowndes and Scaife. It was Lowndes's last drive with HRT. Um, of course, Scaife was trying to clinch his first championship for HRT, and then that infamous moment where... Uh, Mark was in the car, Neil Crompton was in the Glen Seaton car and Matt Neal in an ex-HRT car, by the way, with big Kev and Paul Morris, uh, got involved in what can only be described as a drama, uh, could be described a few other ways and I know Neil Crompton still describes it as such um, and then that just threw the cat amongst the pigeons and, and took both those cars out of contention to win the race. I love that this comes up every so often and that Crompo has not in any way, shape or form forgiven or forgotten in all this no. time since. But no, no, this is, that, this is that, big time. This is big grudge stuff with him. He, he will never, ever get over what Matt Neal did in that situation at Bathurst when he was leading the race and Matt Neal was, what, a couple of laps down. Has he ever actually physically approached Matt Neal? Because Matt Neal no. is very no. tall and knows martial arts and is very proficient at them from what I understand. Uh, you know what? Crompo's 60 now. He would still take a swing at him. He, <laughs> seriously, I've spoken with him about this. And if you ever ask him about it, just take three steps back when you do it because the, the spit will fly, the eyes will start rolling, and away he goes. Because that's what it means. Bathurst yeah. and a, a potential victory at Bathurst I think it's not as bad if you did get one somewhere along the line and that's another one that got away. If you're Scaife, you've got a bunch of them, so, you know, you've got something to rest your laurels on. But if you're Crompo and you didn't quite get a 1,000 win under your belt, that's why it means more. That's why mm. it really stings. And they were a, a red-hot shot that day, he and Glenn. And, yeah, he, he's he's never spoken to Matt Neal, doesn't want to speak to him um, and is, uh, is still really, really ticked off by the whole thing some what are we now? Twenty-one years later. So I think so that one that, will go to the grave. That'll go to the grave with him, I reckon. <laughs> it's funny to think that that car actually has been involved in two iconic Mount Panorama moments. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Scaife managed to escape the situation with a side skirt hanging off it and a flat tire. I think Crompton had the front bar knocked off the FTR Falcon, and and that you know brought him out. But Scaife was able to salvage sixth place. It was enough for him to win the championship, and of course, Lounsey departed and headed off to the Blue Oval the following year, which uh, a lot of people couldn't quite get their head around the concept that that was even a, a possibility. 
So that, to run that means that- just to just to before we um, move on, that means that is the last car that Craig Lowndes won a race for the Holden Racing Team in. Correct, last car that he, he drove for the team. Yep, mm. exactly, exactly. So this car stayed in the family for the next year. It was up spec from a VT to a VX and. Uh, not much difference between a VT and a VX. If you want to tell the difference on videos or uh, in photos, the headlights are the giveaway of the yeah. difference between a VT and a VX. The VX has like a, a teardrop headlight with a little round piece um, where it meets up against near the grill, uh, whereas the VT is just flat. So that's pretty much the simplest way to tell the difference between those models. But it was very much just a, a facelift element. It wasn't a whole new car or or anything like this. So, so this becomes Scaife's car for the following season, um, and he drives it for the majority of that year. Not all of the year, but he he won the first round at Phillip Island of the championship. That's the one. Remember where he hit the bird? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Flat well, strap it was, down the front straight. Because we were riding on the onboard camera at the time, and there's this loud noise, and he flinches. Yeah, well, yeah, because it's it's looking at him. The camera's mm. looking at Scaife, not out the window at the track. And all of a sudden, there's this wham into the front of the window. And he, yeah, you're right. He flinches and looks down. And it, it, not a new thing. Riders and drivers have had issues with birds at Phillip Island test days for, for many years. And there's been mm. stories of a few grisly cleanups required out of front splitters of cars over the yes. years of, you know, birds that got in the wrong place at the wrong time, sadly and unfortunately. But um, yeah, it smashed the front of the windscreen, but he completed the race and managed to bring it home to, to win the round. Uh, he drove this car at Adelaide, Eastern Creek for a round win, podiums in Darwin, Canberra, Barbagello. He got stiffed at Calder. Remember that he, he tapped <laughs> the back of Stephen Johnson at turn one? And you're laughing like a childhood DJR fan who probably thought it was great. It was. <laughs> he got pinged <laughs> for it. He, he, he gave him a slight touch and passed him from memory. And they what gave a him a drive-through. He was, it was ropeable. It was a bump and run, which admittedly is the only way you could pass anyone at Calder by that point of the... Um, point of the era yeah that that is true um that's the day that uh, the dude ended up winning the round in the big kev commodore actually by the way so um, that excited. opened the door for he was excited he, he sure was um yes yeah, kathy wasn't thrilled uh, <laughs> <laughs> i think he i think that was they were going for the they were fighting for the lead weren't they from memory yeah, it was like turn one lap one or something in one of the races yeah, so he finished 25th. He got to 11th in race two and he was 18th in the last race, 14th for the weekend, which was uh, not one that really um, connected through to his championship. This car too, so it's actually not this car, but remember that Eastern Creek that year, HRT um, got penalised, both drivers. So Scafi and Jason Bright, who joined the team that year, they both got penalised as drivers in the Drivers' Championship, 30 points from their overall tallies, because of nothing that they did on the track, one of the HRT crew members, whose name shall stay remain, uh, whose name shall remain nameless, and we won't name him. We know who he is, by the way. Uh, <laughs> performed a few post-round burnouts in a promo car at the back of the pits. So, a car that wasn't entered in the race meeting and never set a wheel on the racetrack was able to cost this car, our HRT 043 Focus Classic car in today's episode. Championship points. It's unheard of before or since. Could you imagine that happening now? can barely imagine it happening then, but could you imagine that happening now? Oh, you'd get down 100 you, points, not 30. 
at least we'd have video evidence because everyone would have a camera phone. <laughs> That's very true. That's mm. very true. Back in those days, it, it wasn't really a thing to be able to just quickly whip out your uh, your camera to claim mm. some vision of someone doing something inappropriate. But Can you um, imagine if that had cost Scapey the title. Oh. <laughs> we'd know the person's name. Yeah, well, I know. Well, no, it, it would be publicised. I should say. It, 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 I feel. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think you might be right. Um, of course, Scafi went on to win the two thousand one championship. He won Bathurst, but he wasn't using this car because by that stage, the new car uh, that was dubbed the Golden Child was debuted for the Queensland five hundred. So Scafi stepped out of this car after winning the round at Oran Park in two thousand one. They did wheel it out again for him though for the non championship Gold Coast event. Late in October, of course, they were protecting um, their regular championship cars. So the Golden Child had the weekend off and the team wheeled this car back out for Scapey to run. That was the last year of the Gold Coast being a non-championship uh, part of supercars. It was for the points uh, in the championship the following year. But this car wasn't done with, and I think everyone forgets this um, one-off entry from the last round at Sandown, 2001, the V8 Ultimate, as it was known, it rained something shocking there over the course of that weekend, even though it was, what, the um, the, the start of December, just when you thought that uh, a part of year would give some good weather at a Sandown supercar round. There's no uh, such time but, of year. There is no such time of well, year. You, you're counting it in hours rather than times of year or seasons for yeah. good weather in Melbourne. But Rick Kelly raced this car in the last round of the championship in a EA Sports Holden Young Lions livery as car number 255. So that was at the time Paul Romano was the Young Lions car as part of a bit of a deal with franchises and all that sort of stuff. But um, I think 255 was the kilowatt number produced from the latest model HSV at the time, or it was a 225. I can't remember the specifics, but I think a lot of people forget uh, that he drove that car that weekend as a one-off before becoming the the Young Lion full-time the following year. I don't have the result in front of me. From memory, he did quite. He actually did quite well in, if not the Saturday race, in the Sunday race. Uh, yeah, twenty uh, first of the round. Hmm. But in some pretty uh, dire conditions. Seventh. Yeah, seventh in the last race. That's what you're thinking of. From twenty second on the grid, and it was a progressive grid back in those days. So uh, that was wasn't the first time we saw Rick in a, uh, a supercar because he had done the enduros with Kmart, uh, the sister team. But uh, that was his first time in a a young lines car. So this car kind of goes, uh, obviously Scaife carries on with the golden child into 2002. This car becomes a, uh, a bit of a spare um, chassis for want of a better term, but they did wheel it out again at the gold coast because of course they wanted to protect their cars for um, uh, the trip to the gold coast uh, that led on to New Zealand. So mm-hmm. there wasn't much of a turnaround time. And in those days they're on the boat, for the cars before they started air freighting them. So uh, Jason Bright ran this car uh, on the Gold Coast that year, and then it was converted to VY. So it did a fair bit of aero testing for the VY Commodore with Nathan Pretty and Todd Kelly at the helm. And uh, one of the unique things about this for the tech heads out there, this was the first car in supercars, or at least with the Holden Racing Team, to have a clip-on rear section, which was a bit of a feature that Dencar, the chassis constructor, um, uh, put together and w- were involved in having that happen. So um, it's just one of those little oddball, interesting elements of, of history of this car. And it did plenty of running at Avalon Airport up and down uh, at the airport in Geelong uh, 
um, as part of that whole uh, aerodynamic package work for the VY Commodore, which came along the following year, and they put it back to VX so they could compare and contrast uh, the data that was coming from from the cars. But uh, it, it was the car that wouldn't go away because in 2003, uh, HRT upspecced it to VY and it became Todd Kelly's car when he moved across from Kmart to join Scape as his teammate. So when we say upspec to VY, of course, the new aero kit, all the new panel work for the new VY road car model, but also under the skin, the, stand, the what used to be the standard McPherson strut front end in all Commodore race cars prior to that, that was gone for the VY and replaced with a double wishbone front suspension to achieve parity or at least equality with the Ford Falcon under the new, as because the VY Commodore was the first Commodore to be homologated under Project Blueprint, which the whole point of that program was to equalise the two models as much as possible. But this car, while the VY Commodore full spec also included a brand new engine. This still had the old 18-degree Chev engine when it rolled out at the start of 2003 for its very, very brief first race at Albert Park. It was short, it was sharp, and it was over quickly because uh, Todd Kelly ended up in a in an accident uh, at Albert Park at the Grand Prix at the first corner with Paul Wheel and Garth Tander. So uh, it was damaged to the point where it was on the sidelines. They repaired it and brought it back for him to drive for the following rounds. Um, but then it ended up crashed again in Darwin in the middle of the year, and that took it out of commission because they had a another new car ready for Todd. And, and the damage on it was actually, I mean, it was pretty serious. It was on the exit of turn one and ploughed into that tyre wall on driver's left. And uh, I think at the time it was a reported $100,000 repair bill, uh, but they stripped the thing and found all bar three panels beyond repair. <laughs> Three of the four chassis rails were broken. The floor was creased. The rear suspension was broken. And the roll cage was damaged as well as the rear axle and diff housing. So it was a really sizable shunt. So therefore, that yeah. car, yeah, yeah, that car came out of commission for a little while. Uh, but when it reappeared, it didn't have red and white. It had white, red and blue. Indeed. Because of the relationship between Holden Racing Team and Kmart Racing, all operating under the same sort of TWR banner, all operating out of the Clayton Business Park, this car just wheeled a couple of sheds down and became the brand new, well, not brand new, but it became Greg Murphy's VY Commodore for the Oren Park round because both Kmart cars had started out the year in the old VX model and this was the first VY that they received. And based on its yeah. performance at Oran Park that weekend, you wouldn't have um, you wouldn't have foreshadowed that this car would have done a six at Bathurst. No, it, it was a new old car. Uh, mm. uh, looked new, new, uh, new to Kmart. Uh, yes. a chassis they hadn't had before, and they hadn't run a VY Commodore to that point. They'd been still in the VXs for the first part of that year. But yeah, Murph struggled that weekend at Oran Park. Finished eleventh in the three hundred k single race round of the championship. So. I don't think anybody kind of ran off the back of that thinking, wow, watch them go at the next one because uh, it was all a little bit of a struggle. But I remember that he and Rick finished third at Sandown in the wet. Remember that it hailed and it was miserable. At one stage, the rear wing fell off the car uh, partway through a pit stop. Remember that? They were no, I forgot about out that. And one of the boys grabbed it and uh, they went to go and tape it up. And I think Rob Crawford, the team manager, was caught on the – the audio of the telecast in no uncertain terms telling them that they can't tape it up. They've got to 
fix it properly. I think somehow the, I think the screws came out of it that mounted it onto the boot lid and uh, there it was wobbling around and they had to fix it before they sent it back out on the track. Oh dear. It was the day four and a lot of weird stuff happened that day. <laughs> Not to mention the yeah, hail. I'm, uh, I'm still, I've still got the, uh, the dimple marks from the hail in the side of the <laughs> head from that day at Sandown. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't messy. The other thing we should point out too is uh, one of the major factors for when that car went to Kmart was it retained the 18-degree Chev engine. It didn't move mm. to the newer uh, engine, which had been originally dubbed an Aurora, but was kind of more dubbed the Holden Motorsport engine a bit later on. Uh, GRM built their new VYs that year with the new engine. Um, Larry Perkins' team uh, worked with that engine. And HRT, the car that Todd debuted after this car was crashed in Darwin, it had the new spec engine in it as well. So being the factory team, they were in a position where at some point they had to uh, move to the newer engine. But, of course, we've covered off uh, what happened with Murph and and Bathurst. He and Rick went on to win the race, and um, I think that's probably sadly overshadowed by that pole position lap. But such was the importance and the memory and the achievement of that lap that, I mean, people forget they led 120 of 161 laps on Sunday to win the race. So it's not, it's not like they just fluked it or got lucky. They were fast on Saturday and they were fast on Sunday as well. Absolutely. That is definitely not a car that backed into a Bathurst win. It was, and there were a lot of strong cars that year. The number one HRT car, the, um, the Brad Jones Racing car for he and John Bow, both very strong cars. Um, Jim Richards and Thomas Mazzara, Thomas, sorry, Jim uh, Richards Tony, and Tony, Tony Longhurst in the number two yeah, HRT right. car, which was the, the highest placed HRT car on the grid that year. That car was very strong as well. So there was no shortage of um, strong contenders on outright speed, and this car dominated yeah, it did. It was one of those wins at Bathurst that uh, is in the dominant file. There's been others that have probably led more laps, but that was, for the supercar era, mm. uh, a really dominant victory. Australian Muscle Car Magazine is one of the most respected voices in motoring media. There's been over 140 issues and thousands of stories published in the last 22 years. From the amazing muscle car machines of the past to the present and the stars that steered and built them, AMC has something for everyone. Delve into the heritage of homegrown high performance now at musclecarmag.com.au. Murph carried on with his car, runner-up on the Gold Coast to Russell Ingle a few weeks later. Then he won in New Zealand with it as well. Of course, that was his third straight. Uh, win at Pukekohe in New Zealand, round winner in 01, 02, and then uh, in 2003. And then the wheel fell off in the last round at Eastern Creek. So while Scaife and Ingle were having their big blue, uh, Murph was parked because he didn't. He was 23rd on sun, uh, Saturday and he didn't even start Sunday because he did his back uh, in the VB Challenge getting out of one of those cars and Plenty of our fans want to bring back the VB Challenge, by the way, because uh, it's remembered fondly. But it was a, re- a really whimpering way for the whole year to end for HRT 043, parked up on the sidelines and not even out there having a run. See, I, I remembered that he'd injured his back, but it was only recently that I came across how. I could, you can understand why, why teams are so restrictive on drivers doing extracurricular things generally, not just not just over a race weekend when stuff like that happens. Because although Ambrose had a pretty firm grip on the title, that basically ended 
like Murphy still had a chance going into that weekend. And um, that was it. That was the end of that. Yeah, Eastern Creek wasn't a track that came up racing really clicked within those 03, 04 years. It was a place that they really, really struggled with. And, and Stone Brothers and Ambrose and Ingle uh, were really strong with. So, um, and that was a year, remember, that the, you, you dropped your worst round in mm-hmm. the championship. I think it was after Bathurst you, you dropped the worst round or, or I can't even remember. So there were some murmurings that Murphy had been deliberately pulled um, from that last race because if he was to score a certain level of points, that would count as a high number of points that he would lose in his overall score or something along those lines. But reality is we know Greg had uh, plenty of back issues in the years that followed. He had an operation when he was driving for uh, Kelly's that forced him to miss some rounds. So it's not like Murph and back issues were a, a thing that had never happened before or, or never happened again. Yeah. Uh, for the following year, though, this car wheel got parked. So it's done all <laughs> this great work. And, and Murph goes back to uh, the car that he'd driven in 2002 for the start of 2004, which is the infamous <laughs> five-minute penalty car, chassis 46, mm. which was built new by TWR Australia, but for Kmart. It never went through HRT to Kmart um, as all the other cars did, but that's a whole story for a, a whole other day. So Murph goes through the first half of 2004. The results aren't really clicking, so they go back to this car. They wheel it out in time uh, for the round at Barbagallo over in Perth, and it doesn't really set the world on fire for the next few rounds. He, he had a, a great run at Winton, remember, in the wet, but the thing was cooking itself in the late part of the race. I think he finished fifth. Um, at Gettedoran Park, 12th, not really going, you know, too flash. But then for the endurance races, a bit of a swap that year in that uh, he and Rick drove Rick's car in the day where, of course, you could pay your full-time regulars. So they drove Rick's car that stayed as car number 15. So car number 51 uh, was filled by Steve Owen and Timmy Lay. Of course, Tim Lay, uh, previous winner in latter years of the Bathurst six-hour proddy car race, uh, Orange's favourite car dealer, I think we need to describe <laughs> Tim as. He's a bloody legend, Tim Lay. You know what? We should get him on the podcast one day because he's got a pile of good stories. He's got a, a wicked sense of humour and um, he's a ripping dude. But um, And if you need a deal on a BMW or, or anything similar, uh, go see him in Orange. But uh, he and Steve Owen took over that car. Owen nearly put it in the shootout at Bathurst. He was a bee's knee away from getting a spot in the shootout as a non-full-time driver, which was which was pretty impressive, really. But they went on, finished eighth, and, of course, Murph and Rick won, and that's the year of the Spider-Man liveried cars um, that was part of promotion of the Kmart. Uh, they had a toy sale upcoming. Spider-Man 2 at the time was, I think, about to come out on DVD or something along those lines. Uh, I should know if I was involved in it, but I can't remember the specifics, <laughs> and, uh, and, and went on and won. So it went back to Murph's hands for the Gold Coast, and that's the infamous. This car has been involved in all sorts of cool stuff. That's the one where he and Ambrose, remember they rumbled after Ambrose brake-tested Murph and Rick Kelly after the race? Mm. This is that car that Murph was driving. So Rick had had an issue earlier in the race. Well, Rick Rick had created an issue because he hit Russell at the first chicane and folded a tyre, a guard on a tyre. So he pitted, came back out, and and just happened rejoined. to be yeah behind the race leader who was who was one Marcus Ambrose, correct. And at the time, championship was on the line. Ambrose was under pressure. 
he wasn't dealing well with the pressure, mm. and Rick just followed him. Rick, uh, look, I, I was the PR guy for the team. I was. If you see the video when Ambrose and Murphy blew, I'm in the background. It's hilarious. <laughs> um, but Rick just followed him. He never tried to pass him. He never went close enough to touch him. But Ambrose didn't like it. He really hated it, and he break-tested them. Going across the line at the Gold Coast where it narrows up, uh, Murphy came charging along the line in third on the road but second in the race. And, and of course, it, it ended up with a press conference where he and Ambrose just lit up. It's the best V8 supercar press conference in history when Murph started uh, railing into him. But that didn't happen until the following day, uh, from my memory, when Murph won the second race to win the round. Uh, and then it all kicked off because no one really picked up on the Saturday um, shenanigans after the race. So uh, the press conference lit up and away it went. It was all quite entertaining, really. It wasn't even a, it was entertaining because when you watch the vision and you hear the audio of that press conference, Marcus really didn't have a leg to stand on. It was not subtle in the slightest, especially when you go back and watch the in-car footage with the data. It, it was exactly what it looked like. A really, really obvious brake test by an angry driver. If he yeah, got to it, it wouldn't and, have been as fun though. And he yeah, probably would have copped a sizable fine. Well, he, penalty. he denied uh, doing it, and, mm. which, which was really clear. But I was standing there and heard what he said to Rick, and what he said he would do to Rick next time mm. uh, he tried to do that to him. So uh, didn't go down well. Uh, I think Ambrose got out of the fine. He was going to get fined from memory. I can't remember. Oh, no, he got fined 10 grand. I'm just looking it up here now. There you go. Um, 10 grand for careless driving and failing to exercise reasonable care after crossing the control line at the end of the race. And I think he, they did look into um, the post-race confrontation, but they, uh, nothing happened out of that. So um, that's where the lap of the gods car has all these other elements that until you stop and drill down into them like we, we have in this pod – you don't, you, you've got to stop and look through this stuff because otherwise you forget that it all is connected. And, and the common element through it all is HRT 043, this piece of metal that has achieved so much, seen so much. There's been biffs and tears and tantrums and champagne. It's had a, a little bit of everything. And then because the win at Bathurst flowed into a win on the Gold Coast, Murphy and Ambrose were first and second in the two races but Murph won the round on a countback because he'd won the second race. So Bathurst win, Gold Coast win. The Spider-Man thing was supposed to only be for Bathurst. But I think everyone felt that, well, don't take it off. We're on a roll. That's bad luck <laughs> if we peel the stickers off this thing. And so they kept it on for Tassie. I think Rick won the first race in his car, but uh, blew an engine. And Murph um, finished second overall for the weekend in that weird weekend where Remember, David Bernard was flagged as the winner, then he wasn't, then he was in, reinstated a week later. The safety car had come out, all sorts of weird crap happened. And, and, and through it all, Murph ended up with a, a, you know, officially on the podium at the end of it all. But because he hadn't won, it was kind of like, well, we better pull Spider-Man off now because it's not a win. No, that's fair. And was Fukukawi next? And that was the first time that Murph hadn't actually won there? <laughs> No, Pukikoi was earlier in the year, in 2004. Ah, so, he'd, yeah, he, he'd driven the, the other car earlier in the year. But that's where things didn't quite finish with the Lap of the Gods car because for that final round at Eastern Creek, where the team had struggled at Kmart team the previous year, Rick had won, remember, in the wet earlier in 04. 
but it wasn't really a on-pace win. So for that last round, not many people knew it at the time, but they swapped the numbers. They they swapped cars. I, and I th- I'd have to have asked with Murph, and I can't remember the specifics, and maybe he doesn't recall, but I think there was kind of a feeling that, well, look, there's something not right with my car at that track. So I think they just swapped them to basically go, look, they're the same, and the results were pretty, you know, no good. I think Rick was 19th overall for the round, and he and Lowndes got together when they were fighting down at turn two, and it bounced Rick off the road and and out of the race. And that weekend was the end of that car's uh, competition life in the main game of the V8 Supercar Championship. But there's another famous driver who drove it but never raced it. Oh, I think I see where you're going with this because that, along with the end of this car's time in the main game, it was also the end of the Kmart deal and it was the end of Greg Murphy's time with the team before he moved on to Paul, to PWR in 2005. So would I be wrong in thinking that Greg Murphy's replacement in the team, one G. Tander, drove this car? He did. So when Garth Tander did a deal to leave GRM, he was going to drive for Kmart Racing. Of course, it became the HSV dealer team. But with permission, uh, he drove at their ride day at Winton, the Kmart team, late in 2004, which was actually held between the last two rounds uh, at Simmons Plains and Eastern Creek. And I was there because I went for a ride. Well, it wasn't with Garth, but I think it was with Murph. But Garth was most certainly there. And it was approved. It wasn't a secret squirrel thing. We didn't tell the media, but uh, Gary Rogers obviously knew about it. Holden knew about it. Um, it was all done the right way. So that was his first taste of a, a Clayton car. And a lot of people probably don't know why we call them Clayton cars. We talk about Clayton all the time. It's the suburb in Melbourne where the business park was that these teams, HRT, Kmart, PWR for a period, uh, and of course HSV, Holden Special Vehicles, uh, were all based. So we kind of call them the Clayton team, the Clayton cars, the Clayton crew, whatever it is. That just um, explains what it is. So then the Lap of the Gods car became kind of a spare that sat between HRT and the HSV dealer team, but it didn't get called up for racing duty. There wasn't a, you know, a situation where it was required. So eventually it was sold to Tony Bates, who these days races in uh, GTs, raced Porsche Carrera Cup quite successfully. Uh, and, and he ran in the V8 Development Series. It was the Fujitsu Series back then. He and Jeff Emery were running as teammates under the Tag Motorsport banner. And he ran that car in 08 and 09. Uh, and then it was um, sold to a collector, John Anderson, who's collected some really great cars, particularly HRT cars. And he commissioned George Smith, who ex-Dencar um, chassis expert, who's still working in the paddock with Charlie Schwerkholz, Team 18. Uh, George is the guy who got burnt in that Alan Moffat pit fire in 1978. He's uh. been around, Georgie. He knows <laughs> his stuff. Um, and Rick Wyatt, who used to be the, the new car build chief at HRT, um, who was in charge when this car, the Lap of the Gods car, um, was built way back when. So... Uh, the best guys that could have worked on it, they've completely restored it. And it was finished in 2012. Remember that beautiful Bathurst opener that was done by Supercast TV for that year's 50-year celebration race with the old cars in the warehouse and Moffat and um, Scaife and Johnson all sitting there in that chair. And it was really emotive. It was, I think, the best Bathurst opener ever done for a telecast. This car was in that as part of that just after it had been restored. 
it went to Bathurst that weekend for that round uh, where Murph had a steer and uh, let loose in it as well. And um, I think he's convinced at one stage John Anderson to take it to New Zealand um, back home for uh, for his countrymen to, to have a look at. And it remains, I think, in John Anderson's private collection last time I checked. It, it would be for sale for the right price, but I think that right price is a pretty high number and you and I are not making anywhere near enough pennies <laughs> to even think about not eating for 25 years to buy that car. No, no, but it's a, it's a fair price like for what the car's achieved. As we just outlined, it's, it has done more than just that one incredible lap. It, it has a lot of achievements under its belt and it's, had, it's been there. It's been involved in a lot of momentous moments in supercars history. Well, it's won 15 main supercars championship uh, races. So in the hands of Craig Lowndes, it won three at Queensland. He and Scaife won the 500. Scaife won two in 2001 at Phillip Island, a race at Eastern Creek, in Darwin, Canberra, two at Oran Park, then the lap of the gods, Bathurst win, and Murph picked up two race wins on the Gold Coast, uh, sorry, at Pukekohe in 03 and another one on the Gold Coast in 04. So 15 race wins, uh, one of those, of course, being a Bathurst 1000 win, another major enduro. It contributed to Scaife's 2001 championship victory. Um, you know, it's a, it's a really cool car. In, in the history of our sport, not just because of the Bathurst history, that one lap, the lap of the gods that has become famous. And one last little nugget. I'll leave mm-hmm. you with this. There's a Brock link with this car too. Is there just? Mm. Do you tell? Well, Peter Brock never drove it, but James Brock did. So when it was restored and it was due to be shaken down um, by Murph, Murph had to go back to New Zealand. So James stepped in and gave the car its post-restoration shakedown at Sandown in September 2012 before it went up to uh, Mount Panorama. So there you go. A little bit of a Brock link with that car as well. There you go. I did not know that. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. There you go. There you go. So, um, uh, of course, we uh, – I mentioned earlier, we get so many people asking about the histories of the HRT cars. The book that we published a few years ago was a – a rip-roaring success, and we will do a second updated edition at some point down the track. Of course, we're busy at the moment on our Perkins book. We've got a triple eight one to do, but at some point down the track, we will definitely go around again with HRT and update it all and put in different photos and new information and, and updated info as well. So really great to sit here and talk about a car that is um, one that I, you know, I was there for a lot of those races. I saw it with my own eyes. I can tell people in the future that I was there the day that, Murph did that lap or that he won Bathurst or that Marcus and he rumbled on the Gold Coast. It was great. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, we'd love to know from our listeners, Will, what you would love to hear for our classic car episodes. We haven't done one of these for a little while, but if you've got a suggestion for a car that you'd like us to delve into the history books on, tell you more about, of course, you can get in touch with us. Uh, email us through the website, bhsleuth.com.au. Subscribe to our newsletter, by the way, through the website, or you can hit us up on socials. We're easy to find with Facebook and Instagram mainly, but we are floating around on Twitter as well. Uh, so, so many cars and so many suggestions. We do get lots of suggestions for future guests. So keep them flowing, keep them coming. Uh, don't forget to visit our online bookshop. It's bookshop.vhsleuth.com.au. Plenty of savings to be had on a bunch of cars and, uh, sorry, books. We don't sell cars. I don't have any cars. Um we, we do on our online showroom on the VS with website, but we're not selling cars on, on the bookshop. It's a bit hard to fit a car in a book or a book in a car. Anyway, you know what I mean. 
I wanted to quickly mention too, that Racing the Lion, our Holden book, that this car is featured in as a Bathurst winner, uh, we've got a discount on that book on the on the website. So if you head to bookshop.v8sloop.com.au, you can save yourself some bucks on what has been a very successful and positively reacted to book from the V8 Sleuth publication team. Uh, that's about us done, Will, for this episode of the V8 Sleuth podcast powered by Repco. Don't forget, on Tuesday, every Tuesday, we've swapped it from Monday, so Tuesday is Repco Supercars Weekly. Uh, next Tuesday, we'll take a look at the preview of Simmons Plains the next round of the Repco Supercars Championship. We've got some great guests coming up with some sit-down interviews in the next little while. I'm going to catch up with Leanne Tander. We'll bring that chat to you next Wednesday. Jack Perkins is going to stop by the office at some stage. And I'm heading out, Will, and I think this will get people really riled and interested and we're going to get some big-time questions. I'm going to Dandenong in a few weeks' time. You know what that means? You're going to have to spell this one out. (laughs) I'm going to Erebus. I'm not going to see Will Brown. I'm not going to see Brody Kostecki. I'm going to see Barry Ryan. I'm going to have the big (laughs) sit-down chat with Barry Ryan about his amazing career, his time at Erebus, his time at Larry Perkins, his time at Kmart. He was there in that infamous five-minute penalty year and everything else he's done in his career in, in bikes and cars as well. So Barry Ryan, due to be on the V8s with Pod, Powered by Repco, in upcoming weeks. So definitely tune in for that one as we uh, roll along. But again, uh, thank you, fine sir. Well played. Another classic car in the V8 Sleuth Pod archive. And we'll chat to you again very soon when we next classic car it up and we'll Q&A it up too in the, the next couple of weeks as well. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online. Thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out.